the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school series on Cover 3. I bring on the team experts from the 24-7 sports staff and ask them the questions I care about. No fluff. Which players will be toughest to replace? What position groups are sneakily better or worse than I realize? We get you the scoop on each team in 20 minutes or less. Let's go. Hey, guys. Summer school again. Today, we are talking Northwestern. That's Bradley Locker inside in you. Also, Bradley underscore Locker. We don't have a 24-7 sports Northwestern site. Going back to my old haunts at from the SB Nation days. Welcome to the show, man. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me here, bud. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. So Northwestern is a team uh, that I, I can't say I've been high on, but I have been fascinated by over the last uh, couple of years. I know on the show we frequently debate, like, how much do you count the COVID year of, of, of 2020 for various purposes, whether it's uh, you know assigning blame or, or, or credit or even for you know any kind of any kind of modeling if you want to get really nerdy with it. And Northwestern's a, a ball club that has won a single Big Ten game in 2019, 21, and 22, and they just were amazing uh, in 2020. You're, you're there covering it, it just off, off jump. Do you think this year will feel different than last year? It's really tough to say. I think the energy has been a little different in terms of practices, and we actually are not allowed to watch practice at Northwestern for the vast majority of the time. So in the very limited snippets of practice that I've seen and in talking to coaches and players in spring ball, there definitely is a sense of turnover in the sense that Northwestern has five of its new coaches on the staff are, are just brand new from different programs. And I think that's not an accident that Pat Fitzgerald recognized that he had to go out and make some changes. He changed some longtime assistants like Dennis Springer, um, like Marty Long on the defensive line and bringing in guys who maybe haven't been at that power five level, but that have definitely produced talent and have that have had winning success at, at other FCS levels like David Braun from North Dakota State led the Bison to two national titles. And I think that's not an accident. It's definitely some intentional moves. And I guess it's tough to ascertain whether or not that's from outside pressure from someone like athletic director Derek Gregg. But I do think that Northwestern understands there is a bit of sense of urgency this year. But we did hear kind of similar messaging from the Wildcats before last year that 2021 was not going to happen again. And then 2022 is far more cataclysmic. So 
it's still way too early to say, but I think Northwestern is hoping that it did enough to kind of tread water and then the new coaching staff will really be instrumental and in hoping to turn things around and maximize the talent on the roster. That's crazy to me that Northwestern has such a good journalism program and the football program doesn't allow people to go watch practice. Like who, mm-hmm. who is trying to spy on Northwestern practice? <laughs> That's okay. Um, offense last year, pretty disappointing. I know my friend Bill Connolly had him 109th in the country in, in SP plus. There are some interesting pieces who return quarterback though. Uh, I, I think obviously Ben Bryant going out from getting the guy from Cincinnati there, there's a hundred percent chance he starts, I assume. Right. I would say I don't know that's a hundred percent, quite frankly. And just okay. looking at Brian's at Brian's tape, I think he's entering his sixth year of college football. He's only been a starter for two, but I think it would surprise the vast majority of people if he doesn't start, just because again, he, he decided to come back for a sixth year to leave an upstart Cincinnati program that yes, did lose its head coach and Luke Fickle, but probably would have been assured the starting job with the Bearcats. And he's an Illinois native. It makes sense. It's kind of a feel-good homecoming story to lead the Wildcats back to glory is certainly what he's hoping to do. But yeah, and just kind of watching his tape, I think there were some flaws and areas that need to be cleaned up a little bit. And I think Brendan Sullivan, who kind of emerged as the starter last year, uh, only going to be entering his third season, I guess, of, of being on the team. I believe he will be a redshirt, excuse me, redshirt sophomore this year. But I think with Sullivan, he kind of unlocks more facets of the playbook with his athleticism and mobility. Didn't see that as much with Brian, but I would say probably a 75% chance Brian starts, but obviously do not have the intel regarding practice and what's that been looking like. And also, I think Brian just got to campus, just started working out with the team. So it will definitely be fascinating to see, though. Oh, so he he, he wasn't able to go through spring? Uh, No, because at Northwestern, the transfers are really not there in the spring. It's it's very complicated with the admissions process and everything like that. So I believe he, he and the incoming freshmen just started working out. Interesting, yeah. Certainly something that we will monitor there. Uh, the Wildcats did lose Evan Hull. They, they lose Malik Washington. They lose Danny Navarro. Of those skill guys who they lost, that's uh, you know one running back and, and, and two receivers. Who will be the toughest to replace? And and, and who are some guys perhaps who you think might step up and, and fill the void? I think it's unquestionably going to be Hull. I mean, he, as you said, was a running back, but I think he really was the entire offense if you if you could put it that way for Northwestern and really the last seventy one targets. That's nuts for a back. I mean, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. I mean, that number just speaks to the fact that he was truly dynamic whenever the ball was in his hands for Northwestern. And with a lack of consistent receiver production over the last few years, Northwestern consistently relied on hole out of the backfield on screens, on wheel routes, things like that. And I think that is going to be incredibly tough to replace. Uh, Looking at the running back position, you do have Cam Porter, who was fantastic in 2020, suffered an ACL tear before 2021. Last year didn't really look exactly like himself, kind of had a bit of a work in progress season, I would say, where had to ramp up activity and maybe toward the end of the year seemed to be getting a little bit of the juice back. But I would still say there are some questions with Porter. You could see Anthony Trey Tyus, the third, I'd be in for a bigger season. I mean, he's kind of been a backup for Northwestern his first two seasons, but he has good balance and also has good receiving prowess too. So I think Tyus might be a guy that could step into a bigger role this year. But I really do think it's going to be a running back by committee situation for Northwestern. Offensive line, I don't know if I'm wrong to be scared here. They lose Peter Skronsky, who was a, you know, basically every single person had had him as a a first team All-American. But they also lose Charlie Schmidt, who played almost 900 snaps. They lose uh, 
Ethan, I can't even pronounce his last name. Weirdker. Okay, there we go. Uh, I mean, that's 800 snaps. You, you lose uh, POC, who's like 700. That's a ton to lose. Not that this unit was good other than Skronsky, but the number of snaps they played suggest maybe the backups weren't serious threats to take their positions because usually, you know, if you have questionable guys, you, you rotate somebody in. Is this an area of concern for this team? I think it, it definitely is, and I don't think you're wrong to be scared on the outside just looking at this offensive line. I think, as you mentioned, having three pretty significant losses on the offensive line, and it sounds like Northwestern is planning to reshovel some guys. Um, Josh Preeb coming back from injury might play tackle this year instead of guard. But, yeah, I think it's going to be maybe two returning starters for Northwestern and a right tackle. Last year it was Caleb Tiernan, who's a very highly touted recruit, but kind of struggled a little bit as a sophomore just out there on an island against some of the Big Ten's best, best edge rushers. So Tiernan was kind of a question mark last year. We'll see how Preeb does a tackle this year. But Northwestern did not do a ton in the transfer portal to really alleviate the concerns that offensive line, especially interior offensive line, is very uh, unknown at this moment. I mean, center in particular, Schmidt, as you said, held the position down at the very least. And while Northwestern's offensive line never really gelled much beside that Nebraska game out in Ireland, it felt like, uh, at least you kind of knew who the starters were going to be, and you could pencil that in. And a guy like Wiederker brought that veteran experience, could play tackle, could play guard. Right now, we don't really know what that looks like for this team. So, yeah, I think it's it's a very valid uh, area of concern for Northwestern. Defensively, this has kind of been the hallmark of Pat Fitzgerald teams. Last year, it did slip a little bit, 77th in the country. After I know my friend Connolly had him second in the country in 2020. Again, mm. you know, caveat him tour with with, uh, with with the COVID year. But this defensive line, I'm not sure what to make of it. The, the one thing I've noticed, just on something I track, is the players that schools are going after in the transfer portal. Are, are they winning them? And if they're losing those battles, who who are they losing them to? And I kind of the number of offers Northwestern threw out at defensive tackle kind of scared me a little bit. I'm a little sketch mm-hmm. on what this is going to look like. It, and they also lose an NFL draft pick at defensive end. Can this unit kind of hold serve? I assume it won't be better than last year, but like, can it not collapse? <laughs> I think only time will tell on that as the water starts to creep in to uh, to the dam a little bit. But yeah, I think defensive tackle in particular is it's very fascinating. You brought that up because. Uh, David Braun, the new defensive coordinator, when we were talking to him in the spring, basically implied that Northwestern did not have nearly enough players at defensive tackle. And that was an issue stemming all the way from recruiting in the past and how it was done under Jim O'Neill, the prior defensive coordinator. But yeah, Northwestern did get a few transfers that had some success at lower level schools like Richie Haggerty from Southern Illinois should slot in kind of as a defensive ed, uh, edge rusher for Northwestern. But defensive tackle, again, very much... Um, I would say unknown, similar to the offensive line. And you have someone like Najee Story, who played a little bit last year, pretty big body in the interior. But Northwestern has two new defensive tackles in Matthew Lawson from Fresno State and also a player from Bethune-Cookman. But we'll see whether or not he can see the field. But defensively, again, it's not just the loss of Adetama Adabari, too. It's guys like Cam Mitchell, A.J. Hampton. Um, the linebacking unit should be pretty consistent, I would say. But very good against the run, but definitely struggled in terms of range and in terms of coverage. So I think what's going to be really fascinating is going to be how Braun decides to implement his coverages. It sounds like it's going to be pretty similar to what we saw under Mike Bajaki, or sorry, under Mike Hankwitz, uh, which Northwestern fans should be somewhat reassured by, but also what Braun does to mitigate the limited 
coverage skills of his linebackers, maybe bringing his safety down in the box or bringing the slot closer to the line of scrimmage could help against the run. But yeah, as you mentioned, this unit was really just kind of embarrassed the last two years under O'Neill. It just did not look very coordinated, did not look ready to stop games. I mean, they like quarterbacks like Spencer Petrus and Graham Mertz just look unstoppable against them. And that's a, a pretty strong indictment of, of a unit's preparation and ability to be cohesive on the field. And Northwestern was not that at all. And in many cases, the defense was so bad, it did not even let them compete in games. Yeah, listeners of the show will recall just kind of how repeatedly disgusted I am with Iowa's offense. But on Locks Pod on Thursday, I did bet Northwestern team total or uh, Iowa uh, team total over against Northwestern in part because I'm not really sure how many people pay attention to injuries at some of these like you know non-conference contenders uh, within the Power Five. But you mentioned the loss of, of Mitchell and Hampton uh, from the roster. Like Hampton was hurt a good bit last year. Obviously, Mitchell mm-hmm. played pretty well I, I i thought who are the guys you would expect to maybe contend and, and step up to take those two spots i think looking at outside corner you have a guy like rod Hurd the second who has been pretty impressive for northwestern but kind of been a, a do-it-all cornerback played inside played outside so i'm kind of expecting him to take more of that prototypical jump outside just given his experience at true corner for northwestern but a guy like garnett hollis jr saw the field last year in light of the injury to hampton as you mentioned and mitchell was injured for a few games too so Garnet Hollis Jr. could be one of those guys there in John a little bit, kind of struggled a, t- a tad, but I think those are some of the names at cornerback to watch. And then Devin Turner as well, a very versatile first year to Northwestern last year, could play safety, could play corner. So if you're looking at a positive for this Northwestern roster, I do think there is a lot of versatility in the back end with guys like uh, Hurd, with guys like Turner, with guys like Jeremiah Lewis, who decided to come back the transfer from Duke. So I think Northwestern has players that can do a lot of things that have multifaceted skill sets, and how Braun decides to deploy them um, will be pretty telling this year. We, we would have to involve cloning, but but if we were able to to do so to create the matchup, uh, and you could have players on, on both squads, would, would this year's team beat the 2022 team? And if so, how, how confident are you in that estimation? I think based on pure talent alone, 2022 is better because of, again, the the four draft picks that you mentioned, Northwestern's most since 1985. And there's just nobody of the caliber of Peter Skaronsky or really Adetama Adabari on this year's upcoming roster, it seems. But I do think 2022 team was a little unlucky. It felt like Pat Fitzgerald's message, messaging wasn't necessarily problematic, just kind of as he put it. The team looked really good in practice and did not execute, quote-unquote, in the arena. So I feel like based on positive regression or a little bit of better luck. Maybe the ball bounces a little differently. Maybe 2023, you can expect things to go a little bit better. Um, But I would say based on, again, just the actual skill, uh, at least on the surface of the roster this year, I would say it's probably a little worse. Now, kicking was also a a huge issue last year. And for a team like Northwestern that doesn't score a whole lot of touchdowns and has drives stall out in the red zone pretty frequently, it's it's important that they have at least passable kicking and and they had – uh, one of the worst kicking uh, in terms of the ability to actually hit long field goals. They basically didn't try any, right? And they were just kind of okay uh, from from short range. They lose at Adam stage. Is Jack Olson projected to be the guy here, or or have they brought somebody in that, that I'm not aware of? It does seem like Olson is going to be the guy. It was a pretty highly touted transfer from Michigan State, but I think his his tenure at Northwestern hasn't gone as expected either, and that's also been kind of familiar refrain for some of the high profile recruits that Northwestern has brought in, whether they're four-star prospects, whether they're guys like Hunter Johnson, Ryan Holinsky, a quarterback, 
Olsen was, I believe, injured most of last year. I think he only attempted one kick. So I think it's expected that he will be the guy this year. Northwestern does add a walk-on kicker, um, but I, I doubt he would really strongly compete with Olsen. So, yeah, it's going to be intriguing to see if Olsen can finally kind of put all of his talent together after coming over from East Lansing this year. The question we always ask, uh, other than quarterback, where's the spot where the backups are just – Probably not that they suck necessarily, but like are not ready to be, uh, you know, passable players this year, and and thus that you really need the starters to stay healthy at blank. Oh man, I think. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I think for Northwestern, you could say offensive line, defensive line. I think there's not a lot of really great depth at both of those positions. And I think, again, as we were talking about with the offensive line, we don't even really know a clear picture of what the starters will look like. And that's in part because the backups and really the players who are in the mix to start have not seen the field much. Guys like uh, Dom D'Antonio, Jackson Carcello, they've been kind of on the bench <clears throat> their first two, three years at Northwestern and now are probably going to have to make that jump. Defensive line, kind of, kind of a similar story. Um, lots of young players and guys that just – really flat out do not have experience to play in Big Ten games, um, I think will uh, they may have to be counted on if the, if the starting units do not produce or if somebody gets healthy. But in an ideal world for Northwestern, I feel like you have five starters in the offensive line, maybe four on the defensive line that you trust at least a little bit and, and just kind of see what happens. But if one of those players like Sean McLaughlin on the defensive line, probably the most trusted vet in that room, if he goes down, it's going to be – uh, it's going to be pretty concerning for Northwestern. Bradley, really appreciate the time. Everybody, Bradley underscore Locker. Dude, really enjoyed this. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks so much for having me again. And I always love all your work and really uh, great to be with you. Thanks, man. Summer school time again, guys. You see the logo on the screen, or if you're listening on Apple, I better just tell you who it is. It's Kansas State. Got my man from Go Power Cat, Tim Fitzgerald. Tim, welcome back to the show. Great to have you with me here. It's it's kind of weird being the guest and not the host. I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm, I'm, what do I, I, I do really, with my hands? I, I enjoyed last year's. We'll, we'll throw them up a little bit. There we go. All right. <laughs> uh, last year, Kansas State, just a, a fantastic story. Champion of the Big 12. Went, what, t- 10, 10 ball, ga- you know, ball games, a top 10, top 8 you know, power rating. Yeah. Didn't seem very fluky. Uh, what, what did you see from Coach Chris Kleiman's team that allowed him to make that kind of jump? They kind of found their confidence, and and this team has uh, found a way, and this will be interesting to see if it translates to this year of going on the road and actually being better. They they really go on business trips, and that was really important to them because they lost at home to Tulane, and we thought that was such an awful loss. Then we went on to find out that, that Tulane is really good, uh, but that also set them on course to what they accomplished during the course of the season, and and in a weird way, as much as Adrian Martinez brought to the locker room and the program. Um, him getting hurt and getting Will Howard thrown into the mix at quarterback uh, was a revelation for Kansas State. That young man got incredibly better in a season or two and uh, really led K-State to some really fun games, including a Big 12 championship victory. We'll start with the offense, but both the offense and the defense were, were well-balanced units in terms of like the, it wasn't an Iowa situation where, where one side of the ball is is really carrying the other. And I do want to start at quarterback. I liked Will Howard better than Adrian Martinez, at least the, the upside of him. The staff clearly saw something in Adrian Martinez. Though they they kind of kept playing him down the stretch. And, look, they won the Big 12. So who right. am I to, to question it? 
where are some areas that maybe they see in Will Howard's game that could allow him to get even better? Because clearly the guy has some talent, but like internally, what what do they see? It's like, all right, this, this, and this are, are ways that he can get better and really you know take the next step forward. Well, what's fascinating about Will Howard's progression is when he was playing younger, and let's keep in mind, he played as a true freshman during the COVID season. Um, so he got thrown into the fire with Deuce Vaughn and, uh, you know, his his inabilities got exposed as the season went on, the things he really needed to work on. And then he struggled again. And uh, they kept trying to redshirt him, thinking he needed more time, even though he'd show stuff in practice, but then he'd get into games and not translate. Well, Adrian Martinez gets injured and they throw Will Howard in and he just starts making throws that we hadn't seen him make. Um, his arm strength is is much better. But the irony is before that, he was known as kind of a run first guy. He was pretty good with his feet, uh, but he keeps getting bigger and bigger and stronger. And it's enabled him to stand in the pocket and, and throw the ball all over the field. And I think the coaches actually want to see him marry these two things together. He really didn't show much run ability last year. Uh, and if he can add that in, it's going to be really dangerous uh, because this kid's a horse. He's now you know, six six, almost 250 pounds of muscle. He just keeps getting bigger. His brother is signed as a offensive lineman, so I don't know what they're they're doing up there in Pennsylvania with this these kids. But uh, Will Howard's uh, you know a big time leader, uh, and he's just really blossomed into this job. Running back, they, they do lose a, a pretty iconic guy in, in Deuce Vaughn. What one of my favorite players to watch in the sport. They also lose, as you mentioned, at the quarterback position, the, the the running ability of Adrian Martinez, who was the second leading rusher on the ball club. But they got a guy I'm pretty familiar with in, in Treshawn Ward, who yeah. is like just great patience, like doesn't have the top end speed. But other than that, like I feel like he should fit in well there. It was he in for spring? And if so, I, how how did he look for them? He was in for spring, but he was recovering from injury, so he's limited. He was no contact and uh, just kind of learning his way. They really like him, as as they do DJ Giddens, who was Deuce Vaughn's backup last year, who was really effective, more of a, a power back, well, by Kansas State standards. He's over six feet, so he's the big running back. Um, and, uh, you know, Ward's a little guy, but when you follow Deuce Vaughn, you're not as little as he was. So I think those two will marry together into a really nice running package for Kansas State. Uh, because Geddon showed he can do a lot of stuff, and I'm really fascinated to see Ward in action. So at receiver, I guess this is one of the areas that on my sheet I have circled is maybe a, a major question. So you lose Knowles, you lose Warner. Not that those guys caught a ton of balls, but they, they were the two leading you know, outside guys with, with, with Brooks. Uh, I've listed it as a slot. Is this an area of concern for this team? If not, like who do you project to step up and, and maybe fill those roles? Well, Keegan Johnson comes in from Iowa. They, they really like him. Um, and a young guy, RJ Garcia is coming up, to, coming up through the ranks. Um, and, uh, we'll see what they, they can do together. Uh, but, um, that, you know, whenever you talk about receiving the ball, you got to throw in Ben Sennett, uh, the tight end and, and those two kind of go together as, um, you know, almost like Kelsey and Mahomes with Howard and Sennett, they're on the same page. It's really fun to watch and he makes the receivers better. It, receiver continues to be an area of concern for this Kansas State football team, just because the depth hasn't always been there, the, the high-end receivers haven't been there, uh, and we'll see if they can piece it together. Offensive line is the unit that makes this thing go. and I I really like watching Kansas because I feel like they run a lot of different blocking schemes and are able to pull it off. And I, I have no idea how they practice it sometimes, but everybody's back on this offensive line probably the best offensive line in the Big 12. I've 
I would think like there's some chance Texas takes another step forward, maybe, right? But yeah, entering the season, it's gotta be it's gotta be Kansas State. Is there anybody who didn't start last year who's seriously pressing you know to start this year? Well, he started the first game, Taylor Portier. This kid has been injured both seasons, the last two seasons with knee injuries. He's got them both out of the way now. Uh, so if he can come back uh, and be healthy, and sometimes those knees just need to be rebuilt uh, to play football, uh, and that might be the case with him, he's a really good offensive guard. And if they can get him into the mix, uh, it's going to really make that offensive line even better. Uh, but, you know, you got Cooper Beebe. This kid decided to come back even though there was a chance he was going to be drafted in the first three rounds. People are talking about him being the best offensive lineman in college football. We'll see about that. Uh, but he's really the anchor inside. And uh, he came back to play with his brother, who's an incoming freshman, or he's already here. Um, and when that whole entire offensive line, uh, even the guys that could use their COVID season announced they were coming back, I think that set K-State's confidence through the roof because they know those guys really lead the way. Is this year's offense better than last year's offense? It's hard to say that without Deuce Vaughn, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. – um, but I think it, it could be more creative. I mean, it could be um, – do some other things with it. Uh, I'm excited to see Colin Klein deal with that, not having Deuce Vaughn, uh, because, you know, sometimes you get on – you get a crutch like that, you lean on it too much if that was possible with Deuce. But – uh, I think they have a, enough weapons to be a really scary offense. And, and Will Howard can put the ball in tight spaces. He did it over and over last season. And if his receivers go get the ball, they're going to be really effective downfield. One of the things I like to track during draft season is the stories of these guys who were you know two-star recruits or, or, or no-star recruits who, who end up becoming you know first-round picks or, or high picks. And one of those guys was uh, Enaduke uh, Uzama. Yep. Uzama, excuse me. Did you see it with him as a recruit, like, like as, as somebody no. lives in, in the area, that he was going to put on that much weight and, and still be that that twitchy? No. I mean, he was basically a glorified walk-on. They had him down as a blue shirt, which is, you know, a weird thing to start with. Uh, the pictures of him as a, as a recruit slash incoming freshman are comical. Yeah. I mean, they're comical. They, it does not look like a Division One football player in any way. Uh, but so many kids in this region, because particularly in the state of Kansas, uh, they don't let you play as much football year round um, as other places. So you're multi-sport. They knew he was going to put on weight. Could they project that he'd put on that kind of uh, muscle mass so quickly? I, I don't I don't think it's possible. He was shocking his transformation of his body. And the fact, as you mentioned, um, it only made him faster. I mean, it just it just made him. Uh, more powerful and, um, you know, going in the first round says all you need to know about him. He was incredibly disruptive. He was double teamed constantly uh, and losing him is a big deal. But now they slide Khalid Duke in, who was injured two years ago, opened the door for Felix Sandy Dike Uzama to get on the field on a regular basis and shine. Uh, last year, they got him back and they moved him to outside linebacker just to get him on the field. It made him a better all-around player, but that's not his position. They put his they put him back at defensive end, and I think he's going to slide uh, right into that playmaking role that uh, King Felix had for Kansas State. But you also got guys like Brendan Mott, who was really effective at defensive end, and Nate Matlack, who was injured most of the last season, played through it, but it it impacted him, and he's healthy as of now. Uh, I think they're going to be almost better at the the rush in spot this season. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I was really curious about the potential of of this pass rush. I, equally curious about how they're going to replace 
two guys that played an awful lot last year for them along the defensive interior, including Higgins or uh, not Huggins, excuse me. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. there's not a lot of guys, Tim, on this roster who are listed at like 285 plus. Like, where, where's the beef, right? To, to quote the yeah. old Wendy's commercial. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that is, you just named the guy, Eli Huggins, is, is the guy I think is going to be the hardest to replace. You can talk about Deuce and Felix and Julius Brantz at corner all you want. But his importance in the interior of that defensive line, um, you know, it's just can't be overstated. If you go back to the big play in the Big 12 championship against TCU with the goal line stand, it was him that got through and really broke up that play. Daniel Green finished it off. Uh, they had a young nose tackle in that got thrown in um, it, it, on that play who did a great job submarining. But, boy, uh, their big Samoan, they call him Uso, is going to move into that spot. And the question becomes this. At his size, because he is big, uh, is he able to go enough? Is he able to take enough snaps and not just be that that guy that comes in for a few plays? If, if there's one spot, they would still welcome someone through the transfer portal if it popped up before the season, it's nose tackle. If they found the right guy, uh, they would probably take one more person to try to make themselves feel a little bit better because they really only got three guys there. In, in the Big 12, you need you need three, um, let alone with injuries. So it, that is a spot of great concern for me going into this season. Between Moore and Green and, and Purnell, they're pretty set at linebacker, yeah. it looks like. It, it, kind of the same question with the offensive line. Is there anybody not in that you know returning group that we, we think maybe could burst through and, and be a real impact guy? Well, I mean, you just named him, but Daniel Green played all of last season injured. We thought he was going to leave two years ago, and he told us after they lost at Texas that he was going to come back and shocked us. We all said goodbye to him after the Sugar Bowl, um, and then he shocked everyone, including his coaches, when he said, I'm not satisfied with how I finished this off, um, and he came back for his COVID season. And I think if Daniel can stay healthy, you're going to see an extremely dominant linebacker. He was a shell of himself last year. And it allowed Austin Moore really to kind of take over some of that, who is about as unconventional looking as a Big 12 linebacker as you could get. He looks like, uh, you know, the, the frat guy that plays on the lacrosse team. Yeah, he just, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic between these two because Daniel's a traditional linebacker that can run from sideline to sideline, but he wasn't able to do that last year. And I'm excited for him. He's a great kid. Let's see if he can have a big season. In the secondary, I, I have not much of an idea how to slot this. If I didn't read Go Power Cat, I'd have no no idea how, how to slot this. So Josh Hayes, Julius Brents, who I thought was was a pretty good you know ball player, uh, Cheatham is uh, shoot the name I, I can't pronounce. Uh, Mason and Smith are are all gone. Like that's yeah. Basically, everybody who played two hundred snaps, with the exception of Savage, Parrish, and Payne, are gone. And I know they they hit the the uh, FCS ranks pretty hard with the transfer portal, which I guess makes sense given where the staff came from. How are you stacking th this room up? Uh, yeah, again, another spot that needs to, to be um, solidified. But you mentioned two of the guys you mentioned there, Parrish and, and Payne, were true freshmen last year. Uh, and they played uh, either started or played significant minutes against Alabama as true freshmen that were, you know, three-star recruits. Um, so it's uh, – they grew up very fast last year. Kobe Savage is a huge addition. He was probably the best safety on the roster last year before injuring his knee. Um, and he's a dynamic player and a dynamic leader. Uh, but, boy, they, they're going to be throwing some young safeties and corners out there or some unproven ones. Uh, 
But again, the coaches continue to say, we like what we got there. Uh, I go back two years ago when they had Julius Brents come in from Iowa. Uh, he was big, long, and, you know, he looked the part, but he wasn't very physical. Uh, boy, by his senior season, he was incredibly physical. So this is one of those situations where I kind of trust the coaching staff because they They've created guys on that back end of the defense to become playmakers their entire time at Kansas State. And when they say we got the guys, I kind of trust them, but I am worried about safety depth. No doubt about that. Yeah, I, I remember seeing Brents at a seven on uh, in Miami. And you signed with I, I was like, okay, yeah, like that's going to work. Iowa does a great job with defensive backs. Uh, and when he, when he left, I was like, okay. Yeah. And then like there's not a lot of guys, but then obviously Kansas State did a great, Job of them. One of the fun things I think about summer school is, is getting the real, I mean, the real insight. And so, like, I mean, you know, Green and Savage and uh, uh, and Duke as guys who are returners, but your power ratings out there may yeah. not reflect their their potential upside of like a full healthy year, right? Or two years removed yeah. from surgery in, in in some cases. Like, there's some big names here to replace, but if they do manage to to hold serve and not backslide on defense, it's probably because those guys unlocked a, a level that maybe two years ago suggests they could with the injury, right? Exactly. And, and yeah. the thing with Kansas State and programs like that, that that aren't able to recruit at the highest levels, um, the key for these teams, and it was it's always been true for K-State, if you get injuries, you kind of have a drop-off. You really do. You get that maybe the top two um, lines ready to go, but if you get down into that third player – you're probably bringing in a three-star recruit who needed to physically develop, not a four or five-star guy that, you know, is the biggest kid in his high school. I mean, it's just the way it works at Kansas State. So staying healthy is a premium. And guys like Khalid Duke now getting a, a chance to kind of step to the forefront again because, you know, going into that 21 season, we thought he was going to be the man. And then he goes down with an injury, and, <clears throat> and it just was a long road back. But I think he's going to really thrive this season. Tim, uh- at place kicker, is it <laughs> is it Chris Tennant or or because I know like like Zentner also kicked the ball some last year and I I don't watch enough Kansas State to remember exactly what happened with with the kickers but it, what's your kicker situation like this year? Tennant Tennant's a a strong legged kid who got the yips okay and um you know they went to um you know the punter they brought him in and he did a great job I don't know where they're at with place kicker they got some freshmen coming in they got some young guys. Again, that's another position because um, I don't think any of us feel like Chris Tennant is over his yips, uh, but they had Ty Zentner, and um, we saw how cool Ty Zentner was coming on the Big 12 Championship, smiling, laughing as he ran on the field, um, and they're going to miss that ice water because he was, man, he had that run through his veins, punting the ball or kicking the ball, uh, and he might have played the biggest role of anyone in stabilizing Kansas State. Because if you go back to the loss at TCU, it was Chris Tennant missing a field goal that was very makeable. Uh, that kind of turned the tide in that game and soured everything as TCU came back from a deficit. So getting that locked down, they, they're just in the process now of hiring a new special teams coordinator uh, and you know making sure they're kicking and punting, which is always a, a point of pride and importance at Kansas State as all, as all special teams. Uh, they're going to have some work to do there. You mentioned freshman Avery Johnson, quarterback. What was a, a major win for Kansas State, ke- keeping the local prospect home when a lot of big schools out there, you know, were very interested. Did did he get in for spring? And if so, I'm yeah. curious how he looked. He looked really good. In fact, um, I just saw a video of him earlier this summer running stairs. I think, 
at you know in summer conditioning and he is much bigger he's filled out um he's 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 a special athlete uh, i think they'll find a way you know these redshirt rules are so nice if you want to find a way to get a young guy in there for a little bit uh, he is a you know four four type of runner uh, so you know we mentioned the will howard running aspect I think we might see them use Avery uh, in that in that role a little bit. Jake Rubley, another four-star recruit, is you know technically the backup uh, as of now, and we'll see how that all plays out. But but I got to tell you, this is the best quarterback room I've ever seen at Kansas State, um, and it's all very young beneath Will Howard, um, who technically has another season. He has his COVID hmm. year. Um, but uh, I don't know if he'll be back or not. But this this quarterback room is really good. They've got you know, some really nice talent in it. And they picked up a transfer this summer who's technically a walk-on, but might might be able to contribute also. Tim, I've really enjoyed this. Everybody, obviously, Tim, is like poker terms. He's the nuts, right? Go Power Cat is your source for everything Kansas State. I, I appreciate the time. No problem, brother. Anytime. <laughs>